Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode provides sports and performance psychology and consulting services in the areas of performance enhancement, leadership development, cultural assessment, and executive coaching to individuals and organizations. In addition, he currently serves as the consulting sports psychologist to the University of Georgia Athletic Department, working with the back-to-back NCAA champion Georgia Bulldog football team. He has also worked extensively with executive leaders and professionals in industries, including healthcare, law, pharmaceuticals, finance, medical devices, and engineering. He is also the host of the Growth Project podcast. Go check it out. It's linked up here. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, Dr. Drew Brannon. I'm doing great, TJ. Thank you for having me. Uh, excited to spend some time with you and, and just talk through some stuff that I know you and I are both interested in. Yeah, excited to have you. I'm excited to have you share some of your background and the things that you do and your expertise as well. So I guess to, to lead us off, maybe just uh, how do you, what led you in life to kind of get into the field of psychology and then the, the work that you do now? Uh, necessity is the simple <laughs> answer. Yeah, so, so my story really kind of stems from um, I was a very average college basketball player a long, long time ago. And, you know, prior to getting to college had had really no challenges, no problems with the, the psychological side of performance. And um, early in my freshman year, suddenly I was, I was, I would check into a game. And as soon as I get in the game, my heart feels like it's going to beat out of my chest. My thoughts are racing. My palms are sweaty and my mouth is dry. And if for, you know, probably some people are familiar with basketball, some aren't, well, that, none of those things help you play basketball better. Those are, <laughs> those are not good things. Uh, and so the, the way I got into this field was um, I had a need of trying to figure out what's going on with me and what can I do about it? You know, I, I did not have answers to those questions. All I knew was um, I did not want the next four years of my life to be uh, negatively impacted by what I later learned was performance anxiety. And, you know, I think I had just, I had wanted, it was my dream. It was my goal for so long to get a chance to go play college ball. And I get there and I just wanted it too much. Like it just was so important to me and I couldn't handle the kind of the internal tension of that. And that's how I discovered this field. Um, I know your your company Amplos. Tell us a little bit about that and what you guys all kind of do. I know you guys do sports psychology, leadership, and, and kind of do uh, a, a variety of things. But tell us about that. Yeah, I'd love to. So our company's Amplos. We're here. We're located in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, which is a, a great place to live and a, and a beautiful spot. It, the question that pops up a lot is, well, what in the world is Amplos? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. It's actually the it's the Latin word for grow, and and so we feel like. You know, if you try to kind of take it down to the studs fundamentally of what we really try to be about and how we try to help people, it's to help them grow and develop and kind of become uh, that version of themselves that they aspire to. And so we do that in the context of sports, uh, in the collegiate athletics, professional athletics, 
uh, and some junior athletes. I don't work with as many of the, the younger population as I once did, but we have other team members that do. And we're also um, heavily in the, what I would just call kind of the corporate or organizational space, sure. doing leadership training, culture assessment, um, development of what they call, co- they kind of call their manager populations, coaches. So we enjoy that a lot. And, you know, we're grateful to do the work that we do. I think, especially for me, I love the, the variety of it. And just kind of the, the, you know, I think it's kind of a cliched idea of like no two days being the same, but it really is true of what we do. So I'm thankful for that. Sure. I know one of the uh, college uh, experiences you guys have had, and I know you've had kind of a front seat is uh, I played college football. So big college football fan, but uh, uh, working with Georgia football. Um, and they've obviously had a nice run of national titles and success. Any lessons or observations um takes a lot to that goes into those national titles a lot of people a lot of a lot of things uh, any kind of key observations or lessons that you've taken away from being a part of that process a lot of lessons a lot <laughs> of observations uh i i could go on and on about that uh for a long time but no you're you're spot on it's been it's been a really incredible two years and, and, you know, frankly, this people might find this kind of crazy to say as I say it, but um, I enjoyed it and was really thankful to be a part of it before we were winning championships because I just love I love the grind of it. I love investing in people and I love having an opportunity to impact people for the good. Uh, and so then all those things were true and all those things were present before we were winning titles. Um, sure. But you're, you're exactly right, too, in that. In fact, we had a, a team meeting last week and it, we were kind of kicking off our off-season mental skills programming that I'm heavily involved in. And so I was speaking to the team and one of the things that we talked about in that meeting was I put a picture up on the screen of a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things I'd say I've learned and has, has been evident over the last two years as we've won two titles is that's really what it is. Of Like, can we put the puzzle together? And, and every piece matters. And there's so many input sources that are vital to the entirety of the organization. And I think that's one, you know, Kirby Smart is uh, someone that I've, I've really just enjoyed the chance to get to know on a really deep and personal level over the years. But one of the things he does exceptionally well is he's built an organization with a lot of high quality puzzle pieces. Uh, you know, that spans certainly, you know, do you have to have talented football players? Of course you do. You played football, you know that. Sure. Um, but it's so much bigger than that of building a staff that has continuity and chemistry and wisdom and experience, you know, a recruiting staff that understands the, the generational, you know, um, uniqueness of football players these days to, to, to get the right people on campus and, um, you know, strength staff, the whole thing. So, so, so yeah. he has built, Coach Smart has built, a really high level organization of people who care a great deal about the mission. And I think when you align some of those things, you got, you got a chance and that's, that's the goal, right? You know, can you put yourself in a position to be successful knowing that some of those are going to shake your way and you're going to be thrilled that they did. Yeah. And then, you know, the Super Bowl last night was a great example, right? Like sometimes no it's, it's going to, you know, the, the outcome is not going to be the one that you desired and, that's sports. That's just the way sports work. Yeah. I think, you know, taking some of your experiences with collegiate athletes and athletics, and then also kind of the professional world. uh, If you had to design a mandatory class for college student athletes, what would be some core elements or maybe what are some core elements maybe that you work with groups, but if you had to 
make sure there's some key things that all student athletes had to hear. What would they want, want them to be? Gosh, if, if we could figure that out and, and put those things into place earlier on in the developmental track for student athletes, what a difference that would make. I mean, I've got three athletes in my house. I wish they could take this course right now, what we're describing. Right. Um, I, I think a couple things would be huge. One certainly would be uh, self-awareness. Like, can we, can we train student athletes from an early age to understand what that really means? Yeah. And the, and the fact that the data is very, very clear and that although we think we're good at this, we aren't, you know, we're, we're great at thinking we know ourselves, our strengths, our weaknesses, our blind spots. The data is crystal clear and that we aren't very good at truly knowing ourselves. So if we could train people to grasp those concepts, if we could train them to, understand what it takes to really know yourself well and accurately, that would be huge. DJ, I think a second one I would point out is um, and it's in a similar vein, if we could train people to really understand the importance and the methods of self-reflection and assessment, mm. like, like I, I find that so many athletes, um, you know, they'll go out there and they'll do nine things really, really well. And the 10th, they won't do quite as well. And they'll walk off the field, the court, whatever it is. And, and the main thing, sometimes the only thing they're kind of dialed in on is that 10th thing. And, and what they'll do is they'll kind of, they'll kind of attribute that to, Oh, I'm just, I'm just hard on myself. And like, this is what gives me my edge. And I understand that angle, but in my experience, that's usually working against them in some pretty profound ways and that they're not valuing and they're really missing a healthy self-assessment of what about these nine things that went great? Yeah. They don't see those like they yeah. should and they could. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I see that a lot with high school and college student athletes is when you ask them, Hey, who here's the toughest on themselves? A lot of hands go up. And then you tell them, Hey, I brought a one page reflection for us to do. Oh. And it's like, well, if you're your toughest critic, what are we so fearful of? Hmm. You know, and I think sometimes a lot of we see athletes. And so sometimes that helps get them to get to that reflective space. But, uh, you know, that self-awareness and that ability to really self-reflect on the good and bad, because the other question I was going to ask about is what do we often get wrong as coaches or athletes about goal setting? And I think both those things, you know, heavily influence our ability to do it in the right ways. I totally agree. Uh, so I think it's, it's those pieces we just discussed. We get wrong when it comes to goal setting. Um, another thing, another observation would be we might do a good job of laying out an, a down the road outcome type goal of like, Hey, by the end of the year, I want to average, you know, 14 and 10, or I want to rush for a thousand yards or, okay, great. Good for you. What we struggle with, what we don't do a good enough job are, are both short-term and near-term goals. Mm. So like, like if, if my goal for, if my outcome goal for this season is to throw for 3,000 yards, that's great. I'm not going to know if I did or didn't accomplish that till the season's over. Mm. And, and we know that one of the most powerful elements of goals is how they create feedback loops of like, oh, okay, so, I, so I'm trending like I hoped I would. This is ma like my efforts are not in vain. Well, you don't really see that clearly enough unless you have short-term and near-term goals. And so I define short-term goals as 24-hour wins. Like what does a 24-hour win look like in my life? 
And near-term goals, I think about either 30 days at a time or 60 days at a time, depending kind of on your like your unique situation or your industry or whatever it might be. But we, so I guess the, the bottom line answer is for me, is we got to break these things down and yeah. it should be a sequence or a pathway of short-term supports near-term, which supports outcome. Yeah. Like the measurement I think does get lost as it often being critical or evaluative, but it does have its motivational pieces when we can look and see the little progresses and see those 24 hour wins stacking up. Yeah. Uh, you touched on on kind of that that measurement. Where do you see that role? I guess the balance of you know being too critical with concentrating on a number or where you're at versus you know getting the amplos, finding the actual growth that you're you're trying to get. Yeah, well, I think one thing we got to help people do is is get outside of themselves in order to um, create the right measurements and assessments of where we are. Right. I think that especially if you study personality, you take someone like you were describing earlier, of like the the, the, the the man or woman who's going to raise their hand and describe themselves as the big self-critic. Th- that's a, qu- a quick, immediate indicator of like, we got to be sure we help this person, because if the only voice that's informing where I am and how I'm doing and am I growing is my own, I'm in big trouble. So we, we've got to create a, a consistent, steady um, review process, assessment process, whatever it is, where we're bringing in the voices of others to help this person balance that internal critic. Yeah. What, you know, our mind's so wired for the negativity and the worst possible outcomes and the thousands of thoughts that feed our debt. I had a coach share with me recently, she would have her team ask at the end of practice what they were thinking about, whether it was a good play or bad play at practice. And most Mm -hmm. of them usually at that time would, you know, serve up their thinking about a mistake they made, not something they did well. And she was trying to get them to shift, shift that at the end of practice. Like, but what, what did you did a lot of things great today? Just that, that thing that you were talking about before that focusing on the one air or whatever it might be, what are maybe some daily things that a student athlete could do to kind of help break maybe the chain of negative thoughts that keep popping up? Yeah. So let's do an example of like just a very simple activity or skill that I teach athletes kind of pre and post. So let's say you've got to practice. um, You got to think about before you get into that practice. One of the most important things we have to do is, is kind of raise awareness like we talked about earlier. And so I say, hey, sit down at your locker, close your eyes, take three deep breaths to slow heart rate. And, and center you to the moment that you're in, the space that you're in. And just ask these two questions, very, very simple. What am I thinking right now? And how am I feeling right now? Um, you know, what am I thinking right now? Just helps us get in tune with well, what is the voice? And is it critical or is it productive? Is it fair or unfair? Is it facilitative of performance or is it facilitative of negativity? So, so what am I thinking? And secondly, how am I feeling right now? Am I stressed, tense, tired, um, you know, frustrated, whatever it is. But I, I've got to do a quick kind of self-check so that I can put myself in a position to go get the absolute most out of what I'm about to go do, right? Like, like don't go out there and spend two, three hours in a practice environment that ultimately gets wasted because I was in all the wrong places and spaces before I went out there. Yeah. So so the pre-practice routine is just that right there. Very simple, not rocket science questions, basic questions, but it's about building that habit. 
And then on the backside, kind of post-practice assessment, um, questions that I'm sure you use all the time in some of your work of, okay, what did I do well today? And what am I going to do differently next time? Yeah. Both of those matter, right? Both of those matter. And I find, and you probably do too, that if you ask an athlete, what am I going to do differently next time? Oh, here we go. Like, that's easy. Like, boom, 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 boom. If you say, what did I do well today? They're kind of like, uh, you know, you know what, the reason they're struggling is because they're so focused on what didn't go well. Yeah. I, I work with a lot of high school coaches. And when I tell them sometimes just to ask their athletes of what maybe after a disappointing loss or defeat, ask them what they think they need to work on versus, hey, guys, this is what we need to, this is what we got to fix. Come with that yeah. instead of coming with the mechanic attitude. Um, right. The, they'll, they'll pretty much recognize most of the thing the coach is probably thinking which I think, you know, in my experience helps maybe them take ownership of the growth of, you know, taking onus of we need to get better at this. We need to do better at that, whatever it might be. Uh, when it comes to accountability, and we always hear the, you know, the player led teams are the best teams and been around Georgia football has been one of the best teams, high talent, high leadership. How do they balance kind of that accountability from peer to peer? And, and what does that look like? Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that it's a lot of people will tell you how championship caliber, caliber teams, the best teams out there are, are player led. And that's been my experience. Now, I think here's, here's the tension, though. When it comes to leadership in a lot of environments, the, the reality is to whom much is expected, little is taught. Mm-hmm. And we just we assume that talented people are perfectly capable of being effective leaders. That may or may not be true. Uh, you know, one of the things that we started doing pretty intentionally and comprehensively several years ago at Georgia was training our leaders. All right. And so, you know, we do a pretty sophisticated um, and, and comprehensive mental training curriculum that, that hits different places of the organization in different ways. But one of those is in specific to leaders. And so some of the things we do with those guys are different from what we're doing with people who are in different phases of their developmental journey um, as a person and as a player. And so I think the reason, you know, have, have we seen the fruit of that? Yeah, we have, uh, but it hasn't been spontaneous. And so I think one of the, one of the places that I think is real important to challenge coaches is the same coach. And I'm not speaking about Georgia right now. I'm talking generically, sure. the same coach, the same coach who, is quick to talk about the importance of leadership and the importance of ownership and buy-in is often the same one who's not investing any time in growing those things. Yeah. And that just, it, it, in my experience, like it's rare to find that, like it's rare to have a great nucleus of leaders who understand accountability and are, are, are demanding the standard from the team who haven't been developed in those ways. I think, would, would you say a lot of, especially high caliber, talented, competitive kids are kind of looking and yearning for that? I think sometimes, and, and yes, I get college athletics, we've got 20 hour weeks and we've got limitations and there's rules and there's things like that. Um, but I feel like kids are looking for tools to help them navigate not only the challenges of their athletic journey, but their life journey, and then to balance it all. Because I think me as a student athlete, we're trying to figure out who you are as a person. 
And you spend most of your time, it's athlete, athlete, athlete. So it's hard to figure out person, person, person part. Um, But I feel like, you know, if we had a class that we described before, if more teams and coaches invested in that, um, the things they talk about, what would be kind of a low hanging fruit for, you know, we don't all have the resources of, of major schools at high school levels and smaller colleges, but some of the simple things, maybe a coach listening could do today to maybe invest five, 10 minutes with their team to help create some leadership. Yeah. And let me mention one little footnote before I jump into that specific answer is um, I have, I have just found over the years that at any level, Oftentimes when you get to the end of a season and a coach or a staff is looking back on the season and do and assessing themselves, right? Self-scout, all those things. And you ask them, you say to them, Hey, why couldn't you guys quite get it done this year? And and that doesn't mean like win it all necessarily, but like like whatever goals, if you came up short with respect to some goals and you ask someone, what why didn't you quite get there? So often the answer is the things we're talking about right now of like, we just weren't quite tough enough, or we didn't have the leadership we needed, or the moment was too big for us, some of those things. But then, you know, then going forward, they aren't necessarily investing in the places they need to so that that doesn't repeat itself, you know, 12 months later. Yeah. And, And why is that? Well, there's different reasons. Like you're exactly right. It could be a lack of access or resources I think sometimes as well, unfortunately, it can be, if we're being candid, the mentality of the leader, the coach. No doubt. No doubt. Of like, hey, this is just kind of how we do it. And it's like, well, just like everything needs to evolve and grow and evolve, so does philosophy oftentimes. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so, so I think coming back to your question a second ago, um, I would say this, TJ, and this requires – this does not require any fancy bells and whistles or even resources is um, bringing together either your, you know, depending on the sport we're talking about sports like basketball, smaller teams. Okay. We can bring together the team pretty easily. We got 12, 15 guys, no problem bringing together the teams. Or if we're talking about like a football team, units of the teams mm-hmm. to discuss um, good open-ended questions that about things in life that matter. Yeah. Right. So, so questions like, tell me about something really difficult you've navigated in your life, how you did it and what it taught you about yourself. You know, you put a, you put a position group, high school football team in a meeting for 20 minutes and you let them talk about that. The the question, of course, coaches are going to ask, well, what's my ROI? Like, like if I do that, what's the ROI on that exercise? And the ROI is chemistry, depth of relationship, Right. Uh, I mean, one of the things we talk about football all the time at Georgia is we don't fight because we hate the guy across from you. You fight because you love the guy next to you. Yeah. Well, I'm limited in how much I can love this guy if I don't really know him. Right. But the greater the depth of our relationship, the more love I can have for the guy next to me. I like I love the open ended questions because I always think too the uh, a coach wants to be able to motivate athletes. Right. And they're all got different motivational buttons, so to speak. Uh, but if you don't know the greatest challenge they've overcome and the thing they're most proud of, those are probably two great reference points to integrate into your motivation as a coach with those kids. But if we don't know those moments, you can't lean on them. Like, hey, remember when you made it through this? Remember you made it through the ACL, you know, and you can have those reference points. So 
as we talk about these things, kind of the other thing I was going to talk about is one thing I love about this podcast, besides the amazing guests like yourself that get to come on and share great ideas is I think a lot of these ideas, leadership, mental toughness, breaking these things down, there's a lot of linguistics, a lot of verbiage, a lot of ideas, thoughts, um, not always easy to, to put all of our thoughts into words, but uh, I've loved on my podcast trying to do that and <laughs> learn from guests. What's something uh, with the Growth Project podcast um, that you've enjoyed, um, that you've maybe found some growth in yourself uh, in doing the podcast? Yeah, that's been, I tell you, it's, it's fun to be on this side of the, I don't do this as often as I do. <laughs> well, you know, good. I'm glad it's fun. Good. Because <laughs> <laughs> our podcast, The Growth Project, as you said, uh, we I think we've got, I don't know, 200 and something episodes. We've been doing that for several years. It's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I've learned so much. And I think that's why that was the original impetus to do it was it's like, gosh, think about how I call it healthy urgency. So in order to have a good podcast, you've got to be staying ahead of like, you got to be, you should be reading the right books. You should be talking to the right people. You should be asking the right questions. You should be creating these inputs in your life that, that kind of nudge you forward. Uh, and so I think, you know, what have I learned and how have I grown as a result of doing this podcast? I've talked to people who know a lot more about certain things than I do that have really challenged me and pushed me. Um, it's, it's pushed me to think critically and come up with relevant ideas and relevant content that people are going to care about. That's a really healthy type of push. Same things you, you work through, I'm sure, to try to create worthwhile, valuable resources for people who are kind enough to tune in and listen. Um, that, a uh, final thing I would say is we've had some good conversations about people for, or with people who see things differently than I do, which is really, really healthy. Like I think we, I wholeheartedly believe in, we need to engage with people and have conversations with, with an open mindedness toward their perspective to, to help us really think about, okay, well, why do I believe this? Or why do I think it should work this way and own that? And and not just, but while still holding it kind of loosely to the possibility that maybe we've got it wrong. I like that you kind of touched on that because uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, you know, great teams have a healthy amount of dis, you know, disagreement, whatever you want to call it, challenge. You know, and that we know that is uh, you study growth. That's we know that's part of growth, right? Is having those working through differences and that furthers some understanding. Uh, where do you see that kind of playing on when it comes into a, alongside a team? Right. Yeah. So that purposeful tension that can be a real difference maker on teams. I totally agree with you. Um, and here's how I generally think about it. Talk about it is it would be really, really strange for individuals to spend as much time together as teams do and not have differences of opinion. Like sure. that would just be, I try to never dwell in the land of nevers and always, but that would be really strange. I'll just put it that way. Right. And so when those things come to the surface, one of two things is going to happen. Either the people that are experiencing the difference of opinion are going to stuff it and not address it, which will ultimately lead to from frustration to anger, to bitterness, to apathy right? None of those are good for anybody. So, so option one is they avoid it or they, they're passive, whatever it might be. Option two is so much better than option one, obviously. Um, and that is, let's talk about this, right? Like, like let, let's bring this to the surface 
and act like grownups and have a conversation. Now, this kind of circles back to one of the earlier parts of our conversation in that a lot of people lack the skills needed to do that effectively. Sure. You know, they don't know how to have a conversation and not get defensive. They don't know how to have one and not get kind of elevated with their tone and anger and that kind of thing. So they need help with that. Uh, But if you can wade into that tension and treat people respectfully when it's over, you have now advanced your relationship in a way that avoiding it simply could never do. Sure. Yeah. Well put. Uh, last question as we go, what, uh, you know, we've seen the kind of advancement, I think, uh, in sports psychology, mental skills and kind of the, we're not quite there to having the class that we've, talked about earlier, having those courses everywhere for student athletes. But as you look at the field of kind of sports psychology, what excites you about the next uh, few, few years into the future? Probably um, the partnerships and collaboration that I think we're seeing more and more between sports psychology professionals and coaching staffs. I think that, um, that's really how it goes when it's done well. And, and I, I'm not saying that's easy because there's a lot of nuance to that. Uh, but there, there have been many of instances and times in the life and the growth of our field where there, there have really kind of been independently operating silos of, of sports psychology professionals in one silo, coaches and staffs in another. And it's hard to be effective that way. So I think increasingly you're finding sports psychology professionals being integrated into um, the greater staff within teams. And I think the more of that we see, the more of a win-win that is for everybody, for the professional, for the staff, for the athlete. Because the the truth is, I mean, an easy way to talk about that is let's say we have a, a student athlete who's highly motivated really, really wants to get it right, works their tail off, but is just plagued with the internal self-critic dilemma. And let's say that she's working really hard with a sports psychologist and doing all the right things. But when she goes out to practice every day, unfortunately, that coach kind of lacks some awareness about how when he or she does certain things, it really triggers all the wrong stuff in the athlete. That athlete is terrified to say that to that coach. It's not going to happen. You know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. What she needs is an advocate and a resource to be not to go to the coach and like, you know, break down her deepest, darkest secrets. Like that's not what she needs either, but she needs to empower the professional to have a good productive, open dialogue with a coach and just say, Hey, just so you know, when you do X, here's the impact it has on this student athlete. Uh, and then I think it's about empowering the coach of, of like, hey, we're on the same page. We're on the same team. We want the same things. If you stay down this road, just understand these are the likely implications. If you decide to pivot and maybe do these things differently, here's where this could lead. But ultimately, it's up to you. And, and I think that's the key is like sports psychology professionals have to understand uh, it's the coach's program. And it's, it's, it's his, his or her decision on who's welcomed into the fabric of the program. It's his or her decision on how things are going to run. So like the, it, it's, we always talk in sports psychology, it's not center stage, nor is it stage right. It's off the stage. One of my mentors told me that a long time ago. 
you know, your job is to put other people in positions to be successful. But I, I think I see there a growing integration of how forward thinking coaches are integrating sports psychology professionals into how they do their thing. I think that's definitely a huge part of breaking down stigmas and those things that have existed. And I've had a couple of guests on here that worked in the NFL player development kind of space, and they reflected that for a long time, really sports psychology in the NFL was a very evaluative department, a very, you know, in this evaluative process where I had contrasted it with UC minor league baseball, where they have a lot of mental uh, performance teams, uh, half a, a staff. And it was mm -hmm. more about developmental versus being evaluative. And I think we're, we're getting that shift more. And I think college athletics has helped because I think, you know, see so many pro athletes refer back to people like yourself and things that have had impacts in, in their growth, their amplos, right. And in, in their, in their journey. So. Um, right. And, and they, let me, let me make one last comment on that too. TJ is just that, um, just a credit to that again, to coach smart is um, he has, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not highlighting myself in this. I'm talking about um, big picture, the staff that he's built there. He has built um, an excellent staff and what he does so well, where he's really wise, I think is, is the autonomy he grants and the respect he gives to the staff. One of the ways he does that is inviting their input. And, and so it's one of those things of like, like why go build a great staff if you aren't going to invite their input and, and really value what they have to say. And so I think like, I think one reason why professionals like myself have been able to have a positive influence at a place like Georgia football is just his ability to do that and willingness to do that. Last question as we wrap up, uh, doing the work that you do, you mentioned, you know, no two days are alike. That's always kind of brings some fun and joy to that. But, uh, what else brings you joy in the work that you do? Uh, seeing people realize the dreams they have in their life. Um, like, you know, I, I just texted yesterday, I was texting, uh, Nicobe Dean, one of our former players who plays for the Eagles. And, uh, we, we were just talking about how like, I can li vividly remember in my head the day he came in. And so, so one of the things we do with our players is, um, I meet with all the freshmen when they come in for a variety of reasons. And um, I can still remember him talking to me about some of his dreams and his vision. And so like, that was one of them. Right. And so I think what gives me a lot of meaning is to, to see like years later, somebody that's just an incredible human being realizing uh, a vision and dream he had for himself. Now the dream did go with him winning, not losing. So he's, he, that dream is something he's still pursuing. Uh, but, but he's played in more Super Bowls than I have. So um, I'm happy for him. Well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights. It was this was great to connect and, and learn from you today. Well, thank you for having me. Um, grateful for the chance to do it and, and the work that you're doing. So any, anything I can do to help amplify that, I definitely want to do. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm.